13. Whenever Joshua asked this man that he saw standing there with his sword drawn, he said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Now, the man didn't answer by saying, I'm for you, or I'm for your adversary. He answered in a way that obviously Joshua understood. He said, I'm a captain of the host of the Lord. Now, the host of the Lord in this case was the nation of Israel. And the captain here, which is the Lord himself, is letting him know again that he was the commander in chief, that he was in charge. And that let Joshua know that he was not in charge, but yet God was going to use him. Now, notice the expression Art thou force or against us? Now, all through Israel's history, God had promised to be with them. God had promised to be for them. We find this in a number of places. Let's uh, just take a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20 just for a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of, it's a summary. It's a book of repetition. It takes us uh, back to things that's been already uh, recorded for us, uh, that we've already been taught and it just kind of gives clarity and summarizes things. But notice in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 1, this is Moses speaking to Israel. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And that was going to be the case just about every time. When they went out to battle against the enemy, the enemy, generally speaking, would have more soldiers, more horses, more chariots, more equipment, etc., than they would have. But he says, when you see all this, don't be afraid. Now, by nature, when we see certain things, it can strike fear in our lives. That's why we need to remember the principle that's established right here. The Lord said, yes, they may have more people. They may have more soldiers. They may have more horses. They may have more chariots. But do not fear. Why? Because the Lord, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, is with thee. So they need to remember that experience. When they were in Egypt, they were servants. When they were in Egypt, they were prisoners. They had no army. They had no chariots. They had no horses. They had no spears and swords and bows and arrows. They had none of those things. But in the end, what happened? In the end, they are safely delivered out of Egypt, across the Red Sea to the other side. None were left behind. They crossed dry shod. And when the enemy tried to follow pursuit, we find the Lord brought the two great walls of water back down upon them. And Israel saw their enemy drowned in the Red Sea. Now, you might think if you were there and seen all this and how all these experiences, then and surely when you saw the enemy that be greater than you, it wouldn't bother you, but that's not the case, is it? <laughs> and the Lord knew that wouldn't be the case. So it tells them not to fear because the Lord, which brought them out of Egypt, would be with them. That was the promise. The Lord would be with them. So the Lord had always promised to be with them. Now let's look at a couple of verses later. The priest then was to come to them, in verse 3, and say to them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. 
For the Lord your God is he that goeth forth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So he reiterates basically the same thing, but tells them again to faint not, fear not, be not uh, terrified, do not tremble. And the reason for it is because the Lord your God is he that goeth with you. So we see the Lord had made this promise a number of times to the nation of Israel. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 31. And we find in verse 6 where he says, Be strong and of good courage. Now, this expression, be strong and of good courage, is found multiple times. Where God gave this message to Moses, who gave it to Israel. He gave the same message unto Joshua. We'll see in Joshua chapter 1. And he says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Talking about the enemy. For the Lord your God, he it is that goeth, that doth go with you. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, the Lord who said, I'll go with you, says, I won't fail you and I won't forsake you. I never find anywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where the Lord ever failed anyone or ever forsook anyone. I never find where he ever failed in anything. But everything the Lord ever promised, I find, has been fulfilled and brought to pass. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 4, 5, and 6, the writer tells us, let your life be without covetousness. He says, for it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Therefore, we can say the Lord is our helper. We will not fear what men shall do unto us. The promise that God gave that he would never leave them and never forsake them is very important. How many times has promises by men been made like that only not to be fulfilled? They might say, I won't leave you, and then they leave you. They say, I won't ever forsake you, and they forsake you. But the Lord never falls short of his promise. The Lord said, I'll be with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. When you see the enemy and they're greater than you are, apparently more powerful than you are, then don't be afraid of them. Don't be terrified. Don't be frightened. For the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt will be with you. So constantly they're reminded to not forget that experience in the land of Egypt. It would have been impossible for them to ever escape Egypt had not the Lord delivered them. It was no way that they could ever get out on their own. The Lord displayed his mighty power. He brought ten plagues upon the Egyptians in the land of Egypt. Each plague was designed to destroy one of the gods of the Egyptians. And the tenth and final plague was the death of the firstborn. And when God brought all these plagues to the Egyptians in the land of Egypt, the Lord's children, Israel, was in a land called Goshen. And in that land they had, you might call, a sanctuary. They were in the end of Egypt, but in the land of Goshen... And the plagues never crossed into Goshen. And when the death of the firstborn happened, not one single firstborn of the Egyptians was slain. Now, we know that Moses took the blood of a lamb and put it on the side post and the lintel. And when God passed through it in one night, he saw the blood. And God passed over. And where there was no blood, the firstborn was slain. The firstborn of all the Egyptians, from the king unto the least one, was all slain but not a single firstborn of the Israelites was slain. They're told here and other places I could carry you to, never forget that experience. Some experiences we should never forget. We should put them in our minds and our hearts, and we should put them in there and put them on a locking key 
and not let anybody or anything ever take these away from us. So the answer that Joshua got from the man that stood there with his sword drawn was, he didn't say, yes, I'm for you, or I'm, you know, for your enemies. When Joshua said, are you for us or for our adversaries? He didn't say, I'm for you. That's not the way he answered. He said, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. And that was all that Joshua needed to hear right then because he knew that was the Lord speaking. And he knew he had promises that God had given unto him. And therefore, if the Lord was going to be with them, everything was going to be okay. Look at Joshua chapter 1. And we find where the Lord's already told Joshua in this chapter, in the early verses, that as he was with Moses, so he again would be with him. And we look in verse 7 and 8. He says, Only be thou strong and very courageous. You know, we just read that a moment ago. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Now Moses has passed away. Well, we've crossed over Jordan's River. They've gone through 40 years in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God gave them water out of a rock. God gave them manna uh, in the morning time. He gave them quails in the evening time. He gave them shoes that never wore out. He gave them clothes that never wore out. Uh, they stood in need of nothing in a wilderness that the Bible says was filled with vipers and scorpions. How would you like to just travel a, a day or two through a land like that? How would you like to travel four days through a land like that? Four years. They traveled 40 years in a land, a wilderness of scorpions and vipers, uh, a land that was barren. God had to supernaturally, divinely provide for them and given them water out of the rock. And I don't know what size rock it was. It didn't really matter. It could have been a pebble as far as that's concerned or a great boulder. And enough water came out to satisfy the thirst of all the people of Israel and their beasts, all their animals and everything. And God simply took care of the situation. God specializes in that. Aren't you glad that God's a specialist? Aren't you glad it's a physician? He's the only physician you stand in need of instead of the six or eight that all of us probably have here uh, this afternoon. Uh, used to, if somebody says, who's your doctor? You gave him one name. <laughs> that was it. At one doctor was all you had. You went to him for everything, you know. But that day's long gone and past, that's for sure. But let's turn to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Now we're getting on down the road. Uh, they have conquered the land of uh, Canaan. They occupy the land of Canaan. And we come to a time when the children of Moab and the children of Ammon uh, and Ammonites, they came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Does God's promise still hold true? Does God's promise he'll never leave them still hold true? He never forsake them still hold true? Does the promise of God that he would fight their battles for them, does it still hold true years down the road from where we were speaking at a while ago? Well, let's see. Second Chronicles chapter 20, there was a great multitude that came against Jehoshaphat, and verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat feared and let himself, set himself to seek the Lord. He'd done the right thing. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. They knew where their help had been in the past. They knew where their help was to be in the present. So they banded together to seek the Lord and to seek the help of the Lord. Now, look in verse 6. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou... Art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? 
Well, that was true. Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and built thee a sanctuary wherein therein for thy name, etc. Now, we find where the Lord's going to answer this prayer. Let's go down to verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed. For by reason of this great multitude. Now what do we read in, in Deuteronomy 20 and 1? When you see the great multitude, you see the horses and the chariots and the armies and, the, and people greater than you. said, be not afraid. Here he says, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. That expression is used over and over again. Why is that? Because I think we're all prone to be afraid and be in dismay. He tells them not to do that. For the Lord will be with you. Let's turn to the 32nd chapter, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we find the king of Assyria now is the enemy. And the Assyrian empire was a very vicious empire. It was a very successful empire. And they had taken the northern kingdom and they were trying to take the southern kingdom. And part of their tactic was by intimidation. Uh, they tell them constantly, you think any of the other nations have been able to withstand us? All the other nations we battled against, we conquered, we took them into captivity. What makes you think it'll be any different with you? That was their, uh, you know, propaganda. That was their message to the Israelites. Well, let's look in verse 5. Talking now about the king here, Hezekiah. He strengthened himself and built up the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. Now we notice here, even though he's going to depend upon the Lord, he's still doing the best he can to prepare for the battle. You know, one of the generals in one of the wars, if you see what it was, he says, uh, you know, be sure your guns, uh, be, pray to the Lord, but be sure your powder's dry. <laughs> In other words, we got guns and we got uh, bullets and we got powder. Let's make sure they're loaded, make sure your powder's dry. Yes, we're going to depend upon the Lord, but the Lord does expect us to do the best we can. That's why I always lock our doors. I always lock our windows. I keep my garage door down. Does that mean I'm not walking by faith and not depending upon the Lord? No, indeed, the Lord gave me enough sense to know to close my garage door and lock my doors and lock my windows and have my powder dry, by the way. <laughs> He gave me enough sense to figure all that out, then to depend upon him. And he sent captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Was that true? It, it was not. Numerically, that was not true, and yet it is the truth. For there be more with us than with him, with him as an arm of flesh. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Here are words that are fitly spoken. Hezekiah is reminding them of this great promise of God. 
not to be fearful, not to be dismayed. Be strong and be courageous because God has promised to go with you. God's promised never to leave you. God's promised never to forsake you. He's reminded them of all this. And the Bible says they rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah. Do you do that? When you come here on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, whenever it might be, no matter how you felt when you got here, when you left, did you feel like you could rest upon the words that's been spoken? Could you feel like you could rest upon the words that's been preached? Do you feel like that you receive strength for the hour to give you strength for the rest of the day and in the week ahead of you? That's what they did here. When Hezekiah reminded him of all these great promises, and for them not to be afraid, says they rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. He had the right words at the right time. And all he did was just remind them of things they already knew. And that's usually about the best way I try to help people. I just try to remind them of things I know they already know. <laughs> You know, they've been told, I know they know it, but they need to be reminded of it. They've temporarily lost sight of it. They've temporarily forgotten it. That can happen to any of us. So we need to remember these things. He says, for there be more with us than be with him. What a statement that is in the Bible. Notice what Joshua's question was. Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Hezekiah says, the Lord is for you. With him's an arm of flesh. With us is the Lord our God. They fight our battles for us. So they rest themselves on that statement. He's simply saying again what he does say, for there be more with us than be with him. That was the case in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, this is when Elisha's prophet looks out and sees the king of Assyria, or the king of Syria. And the king of Syria sent an army down there to try to capture Elijah because Elijah's been telling the king of Israel about his plans to try to ambush the king of Israel. And he's failed time and time again. And they tell him there's a prophet down there that's telling the king of Israel everything you're thinking in your bedchamber. And that was true. The king, first of all, thought he had a traitor in the camp. But they tell you, you don't have a traitor in the camp. It's a man of God down there. And he's telling the king of Israel everything you're planning, everything you're, you've got set up, this ambush. And therefore, he continues to avoid it. So now... The king thinks, well, the way to solve this is to capture Elijah. So he sends his army down there. The servant of Elijah looks out. Now, what did Moses tell him in Deuteronomy 20, verse 1? When you see the enemy, even though they're mighty than you are and greater than you are, be not afraid. The servant looks out, sees the enemy, he's afraid. He comes to Elijah. Elisha. Tells Elisha what he saw. He saw horses and chariots. Elisha says to the servant, he says, fear not. There's more with us than be with him. And then he prayed that the Lord might open his eyes. And the Lord answered that prayer and opened up the eyes of the servant. And the servant looked out and he saw something else. He now saw God's army. He got the, he had come to the understanding what Elisha the prophet had said unto him. He saw God's army. And God's army was also horses and chariots, but they were horses and chariots of fire that was round about Elisha. And the army of horses and chariots of Syria could not pierce through God's army to get to Elisha. That's what they would have to do. They'd have to come through God's army, God's heavenly army, to get to Elisha. And that wasn't going to happen. So then he understood there's more, be more with us than be with him. Now over the book of Romans... In Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, let's take a look at that verse just for a moment. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord. 
who are the called according to his purpose. And over whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And over whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And over whom he called, them he also justified. And over he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, the different passages I've spoken to you about up to this time were timely and they were practical. It had to do with God in the nation of Israel. God was for them. He set apart that land for them. He promised to drive those nations out before them. And there were seven nations in that land, like I said this morning, that were greater and mightier than Israel, but they were not greater and mightier than Israel's God. And that's what made the difference. They were always outnumbered. In the book of Deuteronomy, I think chapter 6 or 7, you'll find where the Bible says that God did not choose Israel because they were more in number. In fact, they were the fewest. God didn't base it upon the numbers when he chose them and formed them and created them. They were the smallest. They were the fewest. But when you put God with them, then they were in the majority. But this is a text that has to do with our destiny. This is a text that's eternal. What shall we then say to these things, the things he just got through speaking about? The all things that work together for good to whom we love the Lord. And again, I'm trying to point out the fact this is a statement that concerns people that love the Lord. People who don't love the Lord are not embracing Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And who are those that love the Lord? They're the ones that the Lord loved them and loved them first and made himself known unto them. When they didn't love the Lord, the Lord bore them of the Spirit of God, being the object of his love, and enabled them to love him. All things to them that love him work together for good to them that love the Lord. Who are the called? That's why they love him. They're being called of God. Who are the called according to his purpose? Not the purpose of man, but the purpose of God. So more of whom he did foreknow. That means with a special knowledge. God, there's nothing God doesn't know. There's, there's no nation God doesn't know about. There's no people God doesn't know about. Uh, there's no persons that God does not know about. But the people in consideration here, he knew in a way that he did not know all the other ones I've just been speaking about. It's an intimate relationship. It's an intimate knowledge. Over whom he foreknew, knew before time, he also did predestinate. He predetermined their destination. We're talking about a place that you're going to end up one day. You, you know where that's at, don't you? <laughs> it's called heaven. <laughs> it's called heaven. That celestial city. The city of the living God. The new Jerusalem. You've been predestinated. Your destination has been predetermined, prearranged of God to be there with him one day. And it's going to happen. And for that to have happened, you had to be called. So all that he foreknew and predestinated, he also called. That means sometime in your earthly experience, God calls you out of nature's darkness, out of a state of death and sin, to a state of life in Jesus Christ. And in those that he called, he also justified. That took place on Calvary when Jesus Christ put away your sins as far as the east from the west. He died for you and saved you from your sins, redeeming you by his precious blood. Justify you in the sight of God where God can say, you are just. You're innocent. 
And then he says, well, when he justified, then he also glorified. Now, that has not happened. But just like God promised Joshua here in Joshua chapter 6, he says, see, I've given you the king, I've given you the city, I've given you the people, the armies. I've already given them to you, and yet the battle hadn't been fought. Paul says, you're glorified, and I know you're not. <laughs> I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. We've not yet been glorified. But it is so sure as if it had already happened and taken place. So after he said to those things, he said, what then shall we say to these things? I tell you, what shall we say to them? I say amen to them. I say hallelujah. I say praise the Lord. I mean, what? Uh, I, I wish I had, uh, I wish I had a, a vocabulary that would be worthy to respond to it. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, and he is, who can be against us? Is who can successfully overthrow the purpose of God? Who can successfully do away with the good pleasure of God? Who can successfully take you out of the hand of Christ? No one. If God be for you, who can be against you? Joshua says to the man who drew the sword, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He said, I'm captain of the host of the Lord. And when he gave that answer, Joshua fell at his feet and worshiped him.